I'm a disaster. I was really lousy in school and a neurotic introvert and kind of stupid. <laughs> Pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. When I started uh, writing a book, I didn't know who to ask about this whole business with writing books and publishers and things like that. And I turned to someone I knew had written an excellent book, and that was Mikael Viander. And why stop there? Why not talk to him? Because this is a guy you really, really need to listen to. Warmly, warmly welcome, Mikael. I'm so happy to talk to you today. I had, of course, some um, text introduction on my uh, episode um, conclusion, but tell me a little bit. Who are you? Uh, that's actually a tricky question, and I'm very talkative, so it might end up with a really long answer. <laughs> Who am I? Uh, when I, I introduce myself to young kids in school, I tell them that I'm a disaster because I was really lousy in school and uh, I actually started to write a book that was called uh, Neurotic Introvert and Kind of Stupid. <laughs> and why do I say that? Because uh, I think people need to love themselves more. We are who we are and I'm, I'm both introvert and neurotic. I'm a chess player on an elite level, but I'm not super smart. And when I, I tell kids that they calm down and, and feel hope for themselves, I hope at least, <laughs> but, but I'm a happy person. When I present myself uh, to people, I used to say that I'm kind, I'm uh, uh, funny, but kind of strange. <laughs> so I think most people are strange. We are like playing the game, trying to be someone else. And that I'm so fed up with that. And that's also why I write the books because I, I want people to, to uh, uh, reflect on themselves on life and, and to like uh, realize their dreams. I mean, we have one life on this earth and we should just do what we can to be happy. So uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, I just do what I love and I have quite many professions. We will actually get into yeah. that. I, I had a previous talk with physician Michel Taglati and, and we were supposed to talk about diabetes and overweight, but we kind of started with parenting and parenthood yeah. by some lucky chance. So now I know your engagement in children is tremendous, really. And not only wanting them to read more, maybe learning chess, but all aspects of their lives, just like you just told us. So this is a very broad question, but I'll hit you with it anyway. What are your thoughts on our children in society today? Yeah. And, and that's actually uh, where I started to, to write uh, children's books. About six or seven years ago, I decided to, to do that 100%. And it actually goes back to my own childhood because uh, I was pretty lost and, and, and lonely and, and kind of a disaster in school. I think the teachers hated me. 
The only teacher who loved him was the Swedish teacher. I was always pretty good in writing. I always wanted to be recognized and become famous. <laughs> so I had a dream of becoming a rock star. And I remember playing the flute in school. I thought, can, I, can, I, can nobody hear how excellent I play? <laughs> I was singing in the choir. Why can't someone hear how perfect I sing and, and make me sing all the solos? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but nobody saw me and, and I became kind of bitter. My mother got me when she was really young. She was only 17 and my father left her. I grew up with my mother. It's hard to be such a young mother. I can't blame her, but I was pretty alone someone I grew up. So I, I grew up with many wounds. I became pretty angry. And what saved me was writing and, and poetry. Then I started to to play chess a lot. So I, I digged into myself and like in poetry and, and in chess and, and found a space there for myself. I hated school and, and growing ups. And that's also a theme in my books, like uh, a child who wants to escape home and just uh, travel the world. I was pretty angry with the children being mistreated. And I thought, how can I affect society in a positive way? I decided to uh, put everything in, in children's books. I think it was like 2015 or something when I decided to, to do this. I have met now 10,000 pupils in, in Swedish schools, and I, I love that really much. They read my books and we have a connection and I, I feel that I, I make a difference actually. So you have written a book about Dexter. And for people not having heard of it, could you tell us just a little bit what it's about? My daughter was a bookworm. She read two books uh, a week. She was afraid of monsters uh, and ghosts, and she wanted to have an uh, adventure series. And she had a hard time finding something interesting to read. So I was uh, a constant customer at the library, and I was borrowing books like uh, every week for her. And she reread all the series she loved. At one moment, I was waiting for her outside library. It was raining in autumn evening, and she came back with a pile of books and I asked her, which books did you get? And she said, I don't know. Uh, I just got the recommendation. And I opened the books and it was bad language. And it was many things I, I really disliked. I said to her, no, you know what? I'll write a really good book for you. <laughs> So, and so that's uh, when she was nine. So I had this, this dream for, for many, many, many years, uh, but it took a while until I really decided to invest in this. Dexter, it's a book I wrote to my daughter, was a bookworm. We have about 50,000 readers in Sweden. But the funny thing is that my main readers is a boy, 11 years old, who hates to read. <laughs> and, I, yeah, and, and I didn't know that. So we launched a book at the book fair in Gothenburg 2017. Me, my wife and, and my family, we were there for five days, I think. We didn't know. I, I just wrote the book for my daughter. And then... Uh, a mother or a father with a son who didn't uh, like monsters asked me two questions is it scary or is it hard to read and i said no this is an easy to read book and it's not scary and they bought it because it's so hard for them to find and this is a global phenomenon that most books for kids between 9 and 12 where you're you're supposed to be bookworm so for this age, it's pretty hard to find books without uh, horror. It's yeah, bad. it's like yeah, fantasy pretty... and horror. So, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the book is about this guy, Dexter, and it's like a hybrid of myself and my son, Marcus. It's a guy who hates school. He has no friends, divorced parents, just like myself when I was a kid. 
and uh, he wants to escape reality and run away from from home. Uh, and I think these boys uh, reading my book, they they're looking for some action and something interesting. And I tried to um, to mix like philosophy, psychology with action and adventure. And, and that's why I think that they are captured by my story. And they can also mirror themselves in, in this, this boy, Dexter, who just want, want to be respected and, and feel as a, as a grown up. And one funny thing is that my son, Marcus, when he was seven years old, he was in a TV show, as Swedish Got Talent. One guy in the jury said, no, you, you're too young. And he was playing drums. He's a professional today. So he's 20 years and he's professional. But as a seven years old, he heard this from a grown up. And I think it's so unfair. I put this in the book and Dexter gets to hear that from grown ups. And I ask the students I, I meet in school, like, how do you feel when you hear that? And they hear that, I mean, every week, you're too small. I mean, and it's unfair. You can't uh, become a grown up. <laughs> you are a kid. But still a kid can be smarter than a grown-up. I think that my story is really well understood by the kids, but the parents misunderstand the book because it's so thick. It's like 600 pages and kids don't read anymore. I'm pretty proud of that, that I, I managed to, to get 50,000 kids to read my book in, in Sweden, even though it's so thick. Why did you make it so thick? I mean, I see books that are really, really thin and still very expensive. This is a really good question and I have a good answer because I get the question constantly from publishers in China, in Czech Republic, and other countries who want me to divide the books in, in uh, several parts. So they said, please make three books and we will print it. And I said, no. My daughter's order was she wanted uh, a thick adventure series without monsters, and uh, she wanted an endless series. So actually, this will be 12 parts. And since every book is about 600 pages, I mean, it's a couple of thousand pages. And the idea behind that is that my daughter, she borrowed like normal books, 100 pages, and she read them uh, during uh, two days. And my idea was that a kid could start reading when he or she is six and read until they're like 15 and not having to change yeah. series. Because, I mean, it's, it's such, such a sad story when, when you have your favorite book or film and there's only seven parts. So actually, I will start with 12 parts. And if, if kids love it, I, I will continue. <laughs> I will have 50 parts. Who knows? <laughs> so is this just a dream? You just made one book and that's it? Or what does it look like now out there? Can you get more than your first book? Um, I have three books so far. Uh, so it's more than actually 2,000 pages. And... and it will be 12 books. So I have a new uh, big publishing house who has just got the, the, the rights, both the Swedish and the international rights, and, and they will start working with the series next year. So I'm pretty excited about that. I also wanted to become a TV series or, or a movie. I put all my uh, effort in this series, and I, I think that this actually will make a difference for society. So it, uh, that was actually my next question, if this is only in Swedish. It's translated. It will be uh, during the coming two or three years, I think, it will be uh, published in English. So it's a pretty long process because it's so expensive. There are too many pages and they want me to, to cut like half because it's too expensive to translate. I'm struggling and I said, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd rather, rather die than that make it normal book because my, it was my promise to my daughter. It's a thick book. Mm. That's like the trademark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's your trademark. I know that somewhere between 20, 
30% of the listeners are not from Sweden. So they're being in other English speaking countries. So out there, please have a look at Dexter uh, when it will arrive. Do you know what you would like to call it? Is it what's his last name? Olson? Dexter Olson with one S. So <laughs> today is the Swedish version. It's two double S, but it will be with a single S. My name is Olson, Dexter Olson. That's good. <laughs> you probably have answered this already, but if you have a parent who, who's not asking if there are no monsters or if it's too thick or, but if they ask you, why should I buy this book for my 10 year old? If a parent wants to buy a book with action, adventure, reflections on everyday life, and also facts, because uh, Dexter is actually traveling the world. so. Each part is about a specific country or a part of, of the world. And I also have a lot of geography, like about Africa or Egypt or India. I try to mix all those parts. A kid who loves to learn new things and, and uh, loves adventure, I think it's a perfect book. And I can also tell the listeners that Dexter is, is not a perfect book for, for people who uh, love horror or take themselves too seriously, because my book is, is full of humor and uh, sarcasms <laughs> yeah okay, okay. so uh, and uh, how how people or how dogs view the world you know it's a lot of crazy humor so um, actually i i um, view it as a, a mix of jules verne tintin and pippi longstockings <laughs> mm. when i was uh, growing up i allowed film and uh, uh, comics i was pretty uh, lazy so i didn't read so many books so I, I watched Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and I, I loved comics. I think I have around 2,000 comic magazines in the basement. What? I think I have around 2,000 comic magazines in the basement. So that's where I come from. I have a lot of action and fast pace in, in the book, but also a lot of you know serious things about why, why are people mean to each other? Why do we have wars in the world? When I write about Africa, I want to teach children about slavery. Why did we go to Africa from Europe and colonize this continent? So um, without giving any answers, I want people, uh, kids to think for, for themselves. Do you know beforehand exactly what will happen? Like, for instance, do you know now what how the 12th book no, will end? I know the name of each book and which continent I will be writing about. So book 12 is about South America, for example. So it starts in Sweden mm -hmm. and North Pole and then Dexter travels the world. My best friend is my uh, maps. I have a lot of books at home and different maps and I, I, I actually sit and I, I count the hours traveling by a submarine or an airplane or a car you know how fast can they go and uh, actually I made a mistake when they were uh, stuck in the Suez Canal and they were going to Cairo I made uh, an error so I had to write two more chapters in the book <laughs> so it's pretty funny so uh, I know where they will be I know how it starts how it ends and the turnaround in the middle but I, I like uh, Stephen King's philosophy that to make the writing process full of lust and, and adventure you need to challenge yourself so very often I just throw in something really unexpected and it's like a problem solving like playing chess like what will happen now and then it becomes more mm. exciting for me so that's actually a part I love with writing, like the problem solving part. I can I can go a whole week and try to solve a problem. I ask my wife, ask my kids, mm -hmm. what would you do? 
and then I come up with a perfect solution. I don't know everything that will happen. So I tried to do that when I wrote part two because my wife was so fed up with me because uh, she is uh, the fact checker. She told me, now you have to plan your chapters. What will happen? I uh, open Excel file, try to name all the chapters and, and explain what will happen. And it, it was a total disaster. <laughs> so I stopped with that. So now it's a, I, I love this creative process. Dexter is like a diary, you know. My wife calls, uh, calls it a soap opera for kids. So I, expl I explain everything that happens, so, you know, every hour in, in Dexter's life. So one book, uh, 600 pages, is three days in his life. So that's why it's oh. that's why it's pretty easy for me to write. And grown-ups don't understand. But what's the thing with him being at, in Mauritius and eating, you know, hotel breakfast for you know, hundred pages? But kids love that, <laughs> and I'm I'm pretty childish. So and I also love food. So so that's why I write in, in that way. And 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 I I guess that they can feel my emotions. That it's it's real. When I write about food, it's real. I, I don't just come up with something, but it's it's really in my heart. That's what I love most with, with the writing. It's an adventure for me uh, as well as an author. And you do get feedback from kids reading the book, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, almost every day I get something. Or when I, when I uh, attend a book bookshop and do a signing, I get a lot of fans coming to me and thanking me for, for the story. I, I think I have a really good connection with my readers. I think it's about 100 um, readers now who... Uh, read my scripts before the book uh, are being printed. Now I know that my readers want to have more food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, so, that's great. When someone yeah. else uh, tells me to stop writing about food, I say, no, my readers love it. I write to my readers. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So if you want to read really a feel-good book, but where you actually learn something, and obviously you can get kids who don't like to read to read a thick book and wanting the next part i mean go out and get it really uh, go out and get this dexter olson book I, I must really recommend it now if writing books weren't enough uh, excuse my language but you are a badass chess player as well <laughs> how good are you in chess you you just said it it slipped right through you said something about playing chess on elite level but tell us i'm not among the best in sweden but i was pretty good 30 years ago so i won the swedish championship when i was uh, 16 and i was stockholm champion when i was 17 uh, and i have beaten uh, some grandmasters like some of the best in sweden I beat like number five in Sweden after six hours play. I'm a pretty strong player, but for now I just play for fun. I have a vision of becoming an international master. Some of my friends uh, tell me that I, I shouldn't have focused on my career. I should have continued playing chess, then I probably would have become a grandmaster. Uh, but what is so fascinating about chess? Yeah, it was pretty hard for me to learn chess. And now I'm a chess teacher today and, and I'm really fascinated about the process of starting to, to learn chess. You need to be a, a nerd. My wife tells him that she doesn't have the patience to play chess. She's really, really smart. But that's not enough. You need to have patience. And I think you have a lot of patience. I, I like to sit and, and really solve problems. That's my, my cup of tea. You can just escape the world and create your own world. And that was what saved me when I was a kid. I just played chess from the age of, I think, 12 till 18. I didn't do anything else than playing chess. 
I, 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 I ate, I slept, I lived chess. And it's art. And, and the feeling of creating those beautiful patterns. I, I don't like the, what Bobby Fischer said. He, he loved the feeling of breaking down your opponent. You can see their face and their expressions like they are really tear them apart. <laughs> I love people, but that's also part of the game that I, I beat my first grown up when I was 12. That was the best feeling in the world. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I actually read about uh, a world chess master who always uh, fondled his own cat before playing the games because he said, you can always hope that uh, your opponent has an allergy <laughs> against cats. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember who it yeah. was, uh, but it was one of those great guys. Yeah. Back I, then. I, I ate a lot of garlic, actually, <laughs> when I was 16, played the junior Swedish championship. <laughs> Maybe that's why I won. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so are, is there any uh, grandmaster or world chess champion that you really like out there um, or yeah, liked? Yeah, I have a hard time. Today, finding uh, chess players I, I would admire. I love uh, players like Kasparov, Fischer and Mikhail Tal. Those three uh, world champions are, are the best, I think, uh, in the history because they, they were creating something new on the chessboard. Today, you have so much theory and you have computers and people are so afraid, so they tend to play a lot of draws. Because when you shake your games with a computer, you, you find the faults immediately you know that also your your fans and you know the um the magazines they will uh, analyze your games so i think people are pretty afraid mm. today of doing mistakes i, I think it's, it's totally wrong i think the fixed mindset is destroying the society it's like when when you uh, are afraid of doing mistakes for me playing chess is like uh, it's a constant learning process and i like taking risks like kasparov and fischer and michael tal they were all people who would take risks and uh, they had really strong self-confidence. There was one game where Bobby Fischer played against Spassky in uh, Reykjavik, where actually he sacrificed, uh, rather than playing a draw, it was a dead draw. He sacrificed his bishop and the world was in shock, but he tried to win for 30 moves, then he lost. And I think that's kind of, you know, mm. the boss do that. Do you know what he said afterwards? Did he say it was worth it or uh, should I have gone for the draw? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't remember, actually. Mm. I need to check that up. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he regretted <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I don't think so, actually. Do you pass on your chess interest to your children? I, I tried to. I started the uh, chess club in my son's uh, uh, class. I actually wrote a new book about that. It's a, it's a book about the chess club. And... Um, uh, my son is also a character in, in this book. But uh, as I said, you, it's not enough to be smart. You need to have patience. And, and my son had no patience at all. <laughs> uh, my, daughter, my daughter, she had both the smartness and the patience. But she told me one day, shall I tell you the truth? And I said, okay, go ahead. She said, you know, chess is only for nerds. <laughs> now my son, he, he plays almost every day on chess.com. And so he's not a strong chess player, but he, he has the interest. So I think chess is not for, for everyone. You need actually to, to love to sit down and solve problems. Research and chess and art, I think, is, is very much the same. Yeah, or, or cooking. I love to cook. Yeah. And then you, you're, you're by yourself and you, you, know, you follow a recipe and you experiment and you get a result. That's what I love with, with books yeah. and with chess. You, know, you get a result. It's like a project. 
and it's creative. Mm. It's about problem solving. You do something new. Well, what I really like about this uh, conversation is that although you started by saying that you have won over like maybe one of the five best chess players in Sweden and some grandmaster, uh, in Sweden, we would kind of react to that statement, you know, being Jante. How, how, why does he say that? He brags a little bit about <laughs> himself. Yeah. But you are actually being very modest because you didn't say a word about something that I actually just saw by coincidence, that you are being quite regularly at the most famous warehouse in Sweden, yeah. where you not only promote your new chess book, yeah. uh, but actually are playing chess with a lot of kids you had your son there playing uh, music yeah. and and uh, uh, i mean you're you're really into this yeah aren't you? I, I, yeah I, i'm really into it and I, I put all my life in it actually that's my passion and i, I had a huge success actually and I, it's not magic it's because i have a market the the kids love my books they come to these events and i and, and i get a lot of uh, really good cooperation, like with the Technical Museum. I have regular events there, and like with Nobel Museum, I'm a member of honor there. I together with Christopher Fuglesang, so I had a lot of events there as well. And uh, uh, at NK, they seem to love my books. But from the start, like 2017, when I went round to to those stores, they just you know they shook their head. I was not welcome anywhere. It was just um, when I started to get good feedback from my readers. And I had like, uh, I've sold 30,000 books now. And um, Sweden is a really small country. Like if you take Harry Potter, it well, I think it was like 1,000 sold books the first years for J.K. Rowling. And uh, England is, uh, I mean, Great Britain is, is, is bigger than, than Sweden. So um, uh, yeah, it has not always been like that. And, and somehow why I don't speak so much about that is because I was dreaming about it before and I had so many uh, struggles, you know, with the bookstores and I just gave up. But then they started to ask me and now it's a win-win and it's really uh, amazing. Uh, so now I'm welcome everywhere. But it looks like you work a lot behind the scenes. Again, you said something about being honorary member at the Nobel yeah. Museum, right? Yeah. Was there, And you said in the sentence, yeah, together with Christer Fuglsang, <laughs> which is the only Swedish astronaut yeah. we've had at the space station, for instance. And there you are. I think modesty will be the next uh, subject <laughs> of uh, an episode, and I'll know who I will uh, uh, interview. Now, if writing books and playing chess weren't enough, you make the most delicious recipes. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen it. W were you a chef before or how did you end up with yeah, it? As we started this interview, I told you that I was a disaster in school. And that actually evolved to the point where I had to make a decision either to take another year at the language humanistic uh, path at high school. I hated grammar, so I don't 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 uh, understand why I choose to 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 read that. I remember I sat there uh, outside the the classroom and I played on my guitar, and one of my Swedish teachers told me, oh, uh, "Michael, you know what? You will become a star someday." <laughs> and I had like you know the lousiest grades, but I took that to my heart and I said, "Okay, yeah, I, um, maybe it's right." But I I had really a hard time finding what to do. So the only thing I could do was to become a chef. 
because you didn't need to have any grades. I'm really grateful for that today because I, I love food. Uh, so I was working uh, different restaurants for a couple of years. The fun fact is that I actually I was running a vegan restaurant, the first one in Sweden, in Söderhallarna. Uh, the first yeah, vegan yeah. restaurant in Sweden? I was a head wow. chef there. Uh, for a couple of years and that was really exciting and, and that's where I learned to cook actually because you need to understand the techniques behind flavors, temperatures and how to actually work with those veg vegetables and I'm really happy for that but actually I had a crisis, I had to make a, a decision and I, I, that was the only school I could, I could enter. Uh, if I didn't want to yeah. work with constructions like a builder but that's my, not my, my cup of tea so. <laughs> so um... I love chocolate. So do you have anything? Yeah, definitely. A really, really simple recipe. And, and I'm, I'm very passionate about simple food. I'm writing on a book. It's called yeah, uh, Everyday Luxury in 30 Minutes. <laughs> so it'll be mm. like 20 recipes that are really, really good, but all simple to, to make, not too expensive. So chocolate. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to work with chocolate. But I think a really simple one is like uh, to mix chocolate with fresh fruit. So I make a really good truffle. You, you can have a... Uh, dark chocolate, uh, you mix it uh, uh, with uh, with hot uh, cream. You add a lot, uh, some some um, uh, control and a bit of salt, and then you, you dip the the fresh fruit in that and you put it in the in the fridge, and uh, it's really delicious. It's amazing, and you put some salt flakes on it. You can have mango, uh, strawberries, uh, pineapple, and we have like periods in our family we can eat that for you know a month. <laughs> <laughs> It's really great, actually. If you want to adopt another family member, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to <laughs> have you as my father for a month or so. Yeah. <laughs> my pleasure. So now if, if writing books, playing chess and being a chef weren't enough, you have a regular job too, if I may say so. Uh, and if I understand it correctly, it's about how to hire the right people for your business. Yeah. Well, what is that? I've been struggling with my career I started as a chef, but then when we got kids, my, my wife told me that I'm, I'm never home. I, I uh, took all the courses at Combux, the, the school for grown-ups. Then I entered Stockholm University Business School as the uh, last reserve. And it was really, really hard for me. I, I almost died the first semester. It was so hard because I had no experience in this kind of, you, you know, teachers told us, uh, uh, Here's here's the books. We we'll see you in two weeks, and you, you have an exam. And I had no discipline, so it took me some some while. But but uh, I, I took my master in in uh, marketing because I, I I find marketing is really interesting uh, because it's about psychology, people's behaviors, and and the business, and it's complex. I like complex things. But then mm. it was pretty hard for me to find a good career path. I started for working for Red Cross because I, I like charity and, and uh, doing something for society. 2001, when I had worked for Red Cross for, for a year, we had this uh, crisis in society, um, financial crisis. And I, I was uh, looking for a job for three or four years. Then I started to work with sales because that was the only only job I could get. <laughs> and I was allowed to... I was a lousy salesperson. I, I didn't say anything for, you know, first years. I was headhunted to this uh, global company working with the workplace psychology tools for recruitment. I didn't know anything about that, uh, but I love the complexity of it. 
and and uh, I've been stuck with that for the last 15 years now. So it's about helping companies grow their business to the right people. So I do a lot of selection, personality testing and, and trainings with managers. And I really love that job. So I tried to only do that and not writing. I tried to only write and not to do recruitment. And I, I can't do it. I need to do both. <laughs> But do you have time? How, how, how do you no, split your actually, time? That's my, where my introversion helps me. Because I, you know, I love people, but I, I rather be alone. <laughs> Best of two worlds. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I wanted to do a PhD. We got money actually for a company I was working for in this area. It was about emotional intelligence and leadership. So I was to do a PhD for eight years, working 50% and studying 50%. But I never did that. So I really love. Uh, to work, but I choose to start my own firm 12 years ago. So my co- I'm a consultant, and uh, uh, my wife tells me I'm a lousy team player. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, everyone has his or her own strengths and weaknesses, and that's my weakness. I, I'm I'm not really good uh, in in teams. Uh, I'm I'm trying. I'm also a lousy leader. So. I dropped that career like uh, thoughts uh, 12 years ago. Like I don't want to become a manager or a CEO. I'm thriving uh, when I can work uh, by my own head, like in a consultant, and you know, do some trainings. Because when I when I meet people, I uh, and I did a training. I I need to take a day off and relax because it's very exhausting for me. But that is a, a very good way to look at it. Make the decision that it's not meant for me to be a manager or a CEO. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of managers, uh, or read about managers, where you really think how how they became managers because they don't follow the book in any way, yeah. in any sense. When they are, you know, working with their coworkers, it doesn't work. Mm. And and I I don't understand if they, you know just never gave up i need to be a boss and here i am yeah but you kind of found your way in a very smart way i think yeah but that's it was um uh quite a while ago when i started working with hr i filled out this personality questionnaire and i thought i was a really good you know leader and and strong and everything and i just thought wow uh, i have some some challenges i saw that i'm not a leader i saw that i'm i'm really strong in entrepreneurship and analytic skills and and many other things, but I was really a lousy leader. And that's uh, just because it takes a lot of effort for me to lead other people. I'm not a natural born leader. Yeah. So I'm pretty good with, with kids. I'm, I'm, I'm good with small groups, but I would never uh, be happy as a CEO or manager. And I think many people make the wrong choice and they end up uh, being sick because they are, are not supposed to be leaders or managers. They have someone telling them that, oh, you're so great. You should become the next CEO or something. And then they get stressed yeah. out and, and I think it. the biggest problem in society actually is self-perception. I think it's the biggest problem. And that's why I really love these uh, assessment tools I work with because they are really a great help. I coach so many people on uh, all levels, like CEOs, uh, young students, and, and everyone has the same problem. Ask other people to give you feedback and try to focus on your strengths to make the right choices. And chess is about uh, uh, making right choices. I, I, that, that's why I, I love that so much. And I try to uh, help kids to make the right choices in life. And the first one is to try to uh, love yourself. <laughs> 
I think that's one of the most yeah. important things because we are the ones we are. We can't, uh, you know, become someone else. Wow. Now, um, if writing books, playing chess, making excellent food and working with recruitment <laughs> weren't enough, you are also into music. Tell us about that uh, one. Yeah, that's actually really painful because it's my biggest dream. <laughs> I still want to become a rock star. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, Not I, I, I really don't like to watch TV, but I love the Swedish Idol. I, I really love that. And, and my family think I'm, I'm silly. But that's because I, I love that journey. Like someone, you, you, you have the talent, you, you, you can become a star. I sing and play guitar and I wrote a lot of songs. And since I'm in poetry, it's pretty easy for me to, to write songs. We have a lot of discussions about that in our family. My son, Marcus, uh, luckily, he, he shows that part. I'm really happy for him. And he, he was successful. So he has his own business as a musician. My daughter, she's also a talented musician, but she chose to, to do a career instead because she was too afraid of, you know, ending up with a low salary and, you know, lousy job. So I think it's pretty interesting like, to choose art or business. And I, I choose actually to do both because I love art so much. But you still play in any sense? I'm trying to build up my studio and I have two guitars and uh, I don't play so much because uh, it takes so much time. Because uh, I know if I take, or take my guitar and, and, and start playing, uh, I'll not have time for anything else because it's... It's such a pleasure. I'm really careful about my time, actually. I, I, I say no to almost everything, and I try to focus my, my life. I had some problems, actually, uh, working too much. I was a workaholic at some stages in life, and and uh, uh, yeah, and I don't want to end up there anymore. So that's why I, I really try to focus. Mm. So you say no to a lot of things, but I'm, I'm very happy you said yes to this. Yeah, uh, no, uh, <laughs> I'm really happy for this conversation. You don't reflect so much on your own life. So this discussion, I, I start to actually realizing how much I, I've been doing <laughs> and, and good things. Because I, I think we, we, we should appreciate ourselves more. But as, as you told, uh, told me, like the, the Jante law in Sweden, we, we, uh, we usually don't brag about ourselves but i don't see it as bragging we should just uh, appreciate each, each other and uh, i mean that's what i think builds a strong society yeah you know i i had a problem having my podcast in english yeah. and uh, that had several reasons but one thing that was actually against was this who do you think yeah. you are you know speaking english uh, please get back <laughs> on earth and speak swedish uh, uh, but it's not it was not taking over the world with pain no. information it, it was like two silly things the, the first one was some patients who i actually met who talked yeah. english who said i don't want to miss out yeah. on this and the other one was actually a, a, a software yeah. program i need to work with because otherwise i wouldn't have time with with yeah. this and it's only in english yeah. so it was a real practical problem yeah. but still i have this feeling that oh maybe people think that I think I'm the grandmaster of pain in the whole world just because I speak English. And, yeah. and that kind of, it nags in, in my heart every time I, I say something. <laughs> but uh, now, now you know out there, I'm, I'm not crazy, I'm not that crazy <laughs> anyway. 
and and you started with your books in Swedish and I really hope that they will come into the English language as well because you can reach so many yeah, kids that, with that's this. That's been my, my vision from the start and that's also why I now uh, I'm changing publishing house because the, the former publisher promised that we would go in English but it never happened so uh, I really mm. want to, to, to reach the global audience that's, that's, the, that's my dream. Mm. Maybe I will get my book in English uh, and I have no idea and we will meet at the same fair somewhere. You talk with the kids and I talk with the people with pain. <laughs> so actually, <laughs> yeah. this being Outsmart the Pain, uh, the listener knows that some episodes have nothing to do with pain, actually. It's just another subject which might be interesting for you to listen to. But have you had any personal experience, you or relatives or anything about persistent yeah, pain? Uh, no uh, one were actually, at it. When I was headhunted for this um, company, that was my first job as a consultant. Then I, I really wanted to, to be a, a brilliant consultant. I, I was working like 70 hours every week with lousy pay, actually. I ended up with a constant headache. And I had that headache for about half a year until my, my boss told me that I had to stay home. And I remember uh, trying to stop with the painkillers. I laid in my bed and I was just shaking of pain. It was crazy. Mm. And then I had to visit this uh, physiotherapist and she helped me with some exercises. And that actually was, was the, the way out for me to stop with the painkillers and to get on, on feet again. Um, and I was so overweight. I was almost 100 kilos and I didn't train. So I started to sleep and to train and to do these exercises and, and got back on track. But that was really, really uh, terrifying. Lying there in my bed, I was just shaking because I, I was taking these painkillers for yeah half a year constantly. Actually, that was a very good remedy for people listening. Headache and painkillers, but you change it to losing weight starting to yeah. train uh, and getting more sleep. more sleep so that was better yeah. than the painkillers actually uh, sleep is so important i think i know how to you know judge uh, personalities after having met thousands of people in my job and and you seem to be a, a very very solid guy uh, although you had uh, your own description of yourself in the beginning <laughs> but you have both the brain and the heart at the right places really so uh, I dare you now then to um, say something. If, if you were to give anyone out there listening some advice for life, if it would be a child being between six or 15 years old or a parent or a grown-up, mm. what would that be? Feel no pressure. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Words of advice from the chess master, the author, whatever. But Michael, yeah. tell us. Actually... It's a big question, but but it's really uh, simple for me because I think it's, it boils down to, to, to one thing, and that's like uh, knowing yourself. And it's, it's so hard because everyone wants to be a star. We want to be excellent, and we're always comparing ourselves with others. And I have a friend who, who calls that the, the comparison hell. And I think it's a good description because we shouldn't compare ourselves with other people we are the ones who we are so i think people should stop playing games and starting to really know themselves what i try to to teach people is to laugh at, at their shortcomings and to really appreciate their strengths and their personality if we don't love ourselves we can't love other people and i think the meaning of life must be love i think if if we are sincere about our growth and our self-perception 
this model can really help us to like outsmart the pain. <laughs> yeah, that one. Great, great words at the end of this episode. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, is there anything you think we've missed? Something you would like to say or that I didn't ask you that you really wanted to hear? <laughs> Or do you think we covered it all? No, I think just uh, would like to say that you're a really great guy, and I really admire you, Karsten. I'm always happy to hear from you and see what you are doing. I think that we need to inspire people to just climb out to make a change in the world. I think you're doing that. I'm trying to do that. So I'm so happy I asked you <laughs> to, <laughs> so you could say that. Uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm kind of blushing really here. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very happy it's a, it's a pod and not a video. Like you say, we, we need to focus on the good forces in society. I, I always tell my patients that you, you should get a network, but you shouldn't get a network where people drag you down, but you should lift up uh, yourself in, in that network. They say that if you get one bad comment, you really need 10 good comments yeah. to forget the bad one. Yeah. So why not uh, stick with the positive people around you and, and not the negative? It's great that you said that because my readers, they uh, see Dexter as their friend. And they find comfort in my books. It's like their own small network, you know, of my characters, <laughs> actually. And then, of course, you want to have it 12 parts so they can follow yeah. through their childhood. Yeah. I mean, that's an... Wow, what, what an excellent idea. Mm. And, and there's actually no... Uh, wizardry or wants that uh, change the world but it's uh, facts yeah. about the world and how people can uh, interact yeah. wow yeah. excellent mm. so maybe we'll have the opportunity to, to talk again uh, when you have launched your books in english yeah I don't know. Let's, let's, uh... so take care now uh, and i'll maybe talk to you later Thanks a lot, thank you All right <laughs> bye